Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Peter Schiff Show. This morning, we got the release of the October jobs report, and it followed the hurricane-related, very weak report that we got in September. I mean, that time it actually was weather-related. Remember, they originally reported a decline of 33,000 jobs in September. And no one cared because it was all the hurricanes. And everybody was very optimistic. The consensus for October was 325,000 jobs. I was watching CNBC this morning. Uh, they were all trying to guess the jobs number. Everybody ended up being over. Uh, I think the highest guy was Rick Santelli, actually, was 401,000. But most guys were somewhere between 350 and 400,000. So everyone on CNBC was more optimistic than the consensus. And then the number came out at 261,000. Everybody went over. They all lost by the Price is Right rules. Uh, But, you know, they did have an upward revision to the prior month. So they went from down 33,000 to up 18,000. Still a pretty weak number of up 18. And they had a revision upward uh, to the prior month. So I guess if you throw in the two revisions... Uh, It was about what they were expecting, but maybe there were some expectations uh, of revisions anyway. I'm really not sure. But beneath the surface, this is a weak report, even a lot weaker than the 261,000 jobs that were reported. Now, the unemployment rate fell to 4.1. That's a new low for this cycle, right? You have to go all the way back to the dot-com bubble to get an unemployment rate this low. Now, I don't know if Trump tweeted about it yet, but I'm sure he's going to talk about it, 
right? All oh, this is great. He's going to take credit for the uh, drop in the unemployment rate. But the problem is the reason that the unemployment rate dropped was because so many people left the labor force. You know, you got to be actively involved in the labor force to be considered unemployed, right? So if you leave the labor force, you're not unemployed. We had 968,000 people leaving the labor force in October. And of course, don't think this is like Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico is not even included in these statistics. So, you know, obviously, you know, it would be a lot worse if we had to include all the people that can't work in Puerto Rico because they, there's no power, no electricity, uh, no water, no Internet, whatever. They, they have nothing, no cell phones. But forgetting about that, on the mainland, 968,000 people left the labor force. That was the third biggest monthly exodus ever that caused the number of Americans currently exiled from the labor force to hit a new record high, 95,385,000. The labor force participation rate plunged back down to 62.7 from 63. Now, this is the exact same type of jobs numbers we were getting under Obama, right, where you'd have a falling unemployment rate because so many people were leaving the labor force or so many people were working part-time. And candidate Trump was extremely critical of this and talking about how the unemployment rate is the biggest con, the biggest fraud in history. Unemployment is 30, 40, 50%, whatever it was, right? The jobs are lousy, they're low paying, people are leaving the labor force. Exactly what is going on today, yet now everything is great, you know, the unemployment rate is low and it's all thanks to me and I'm doing a great job. This is a weak number. In fact, look at average hourly earnings. They were supposed to rise by 0.2 and they were flat. And the only reason they were flat was because they rounded it up. Actually, average hourly earnings went down during the month of October. And this is not adjusted for inflation. These are just the earnings. So we know prices are going up. And so earnings actually went down in October. And now year over year, we have an increase of earnings of 2.4%. I'm pretty sure the cost of living is up by more than 2.4% year over year, regardless of what the CPI claims. So real wages are actually going down. People are earning less money than they were before. So this is a weak report. In fact, if you look at the type of jobs that we created, 40% of the jobs were in leisure and hospitality. That was the biggest category. These are some of the lowest paying jobs. That includes waiters and bartenders. And in fact, that was the biggest subcomponent of uh, leisure and hospitality. I think better than one third, one out of three of all the jobs that were created in October were for waiters and bartenders. I mean, and probably most of these were part-time jobs. And I wonder what all these uh, part-time waiters and bartenders were doing before they were tending bar and waiting tables. I mean, are they just picking up another gig or did they have real jobs, better jobs uh, in the past and now they're settling uh, for bartending? But, you know, this is the quality of these jobs. This is a lousy report. In fact, if Donald Trump had not won the, uh, the election, I'm convinced that we would already be in a statistical recession. I think the only thing that saved the economy from recession was the optimism surrounding Trump winning. Because all of a sudden, people have a reason to be hopeful. People have a reason to be optimistic. If Hillary would have won, there would have been no optimism. It would have been a continuation of Obama 
and nobody would have been expecting things to get better. The stock market wouldn't have rallied, right? It probably would have sold off, right? Everybody was saying if Trump wins, the stock market is going to get killed. Trump won, the stock market rallied, right? Well, everybody said if Clinton wins, that's great for the stock market. It probably would have been a disaster. Had Clinton won, the stock market probably would have tanked, right? The dollar would have gone straight down. It wouldn't have had that head fake rally. Uh, And gold prices would have gone up. I mean, it'd be a very different market environment today had uh, Hillary Clinton won. But Donald Trump winning isn't changing anything. It's just changing the perception. It's changing expectations. You've got a bunch of optimism that's all going to turn out to be false. So the economy is going to go into recession. It's just going to get there later than it would have had Hillary Clinton won. You know, we got the ISM non-manufacturing number out. That was a strong number today, right? It's a survey up over 60, one of the strongest numbers. But a lot of this uh, reflects the expectations of the people who are being surveyed. So all these things, measures of confidence, consumer confidence, uh, investor confidence are all high. And now that people are talking about tax cuts, I mean, obviously some people are going to find out they're getting tax hikes, but the majority of Americans are going to get a tax cut as a result of this plan, right? There are corporate tax cuts. The majority of corporations will probably see a tax cut, not a tax hike. So that tax cuts, that's also creating optimism. In fact, you know, when the uh, the, the weaker than expected jobs numbers came out, when we saw that low hourly earning number, the big uh, drop in labor force participation, we didn't even get a rally in gold. I mean, gold maybe one or two bucks. I mean, it was nothing. And the dollar went down slightly, but then when we got that ISM number, I mean, gold tanked. I mean, gold had a $10 sell-off. I mean, it recovered later in the day. But the big news, as far as the markets were concerned, was not the weaker-than-expected uh, jobs numbers, but was the stronger-than-expected ISM. So everybody is trying to look at the good news or what they perceive to be good news, and they're looking to bid up the dollar, and they're looking to uh, uh, to sell gold. But I think they're missing the underlying picture that the structure of the economy is weak. You take out all of the optimism based on the belief that things are going to change. They're not going to change. Look, I went over yesterday. We've got a Fed chairman who's going to be just like Janet Yellen. Same old, same old. No different. Yes, we're getting some tax cuts, but we're not fundamentally changing uh, the way we tax. We're not having major tax reform that would really be pro-growth. We're just taking the existing structure and lowering the rates somewhat, and we're complicating it for some people, simplifying it for others. But overall, you know, this is not a game changer. This is the same game. Meanwhile, the deficits are going to be bigger as a result of the tax cuts, but they were going to be bigger anyway. Because the deficits are already starting to go up. They're going to get bigger and bigger. And the government is going to be increasing spending. That's a given, especially if the economy goes back into recession. And, and so we're going to get there, right? When all this false optimism fades, right? When people are confronted with the reality that things did not magically get better because Donald Trump has promised to make things better. Meanwhile, you know, if people recognize that it's the same old you know, pumping up the stock market, cheerleading the stock market, ignoring the the real uh, economy and just pointing to statistics that paint a rosier picture of what the real economy is, people are going to, uh, you know, lose hope. And that is going to be the real problem, especially 
if the recession doesn't start until later. I mean, if it starts, let's say, just as we're getting into the midterm elections next year, if the recession starts in the second half of 2018, that's going to be very, very bad for the Republicans uh, trying to hold on to their majority in Congress. And, you know, if Trump had a hard time getting anything substantive through Congress when the Republicans had the majority, obviously it's going to be even more difficult if they lose that majority. And then, of course, I've said many, many times, if the Democrats win the White House in 2020, because if the recession starts in 2018, believe me, we're not going to be out of it by 2020. It's going to be a much deeper recession than the Great Recession that we came out of in, what, 09, 010. And so there's no way Trump gets reelected if the voters are going to the polls during a recession, especially the same voters who voted for change. They believe Trump and now nothing has changed. They're not going to fall for it again. Right. And Trump is not going to be able to claim, well, just, you know, elect me and I'm going to change everything. I'm going to drain the swamp. If he's if he's still in the swamp, if the water level in the swamp has actually risen, uh, then how is he going to promise to drain it again? I mean, the American public is not going to buy that twice in a row. And you're really going to set the stage for a left winger. You know, by the way, you have all these revelations coming out now how the Democrats rigged uh, the uh, the convention and how, you know, they basically stole it away from Bernie Sanders. I mean, Bernie Sanders would have been the Democratic nominee had, you know, there not been so much corruption within the party. Now, had Sanders been the nominee, he might have actually beat Trump. I don't know. I mean, he would have given Trump a tighter race than Hillary Clinton. So he might be president if they had paid fair. But what, what that shows you is how left of center the Democratic Party has, in effect, moved. I mean, we have a very uh, left-wing Democratic Party that a uh, a, a unapologetic socialist uh, really should have won the nomination and may have won the White House and may, in fact, win the White House, or if not Sanders himself. I forget how old uh, the burn is. Uh, but somebody of his ilk, right, could easily rise to power and, and win that nomination in, in 2020. And so that is a big danger uh, that this uh, that this country goes hard left. And then so much for these permanent tax cuts that anybody wants to pretend are permanent. I mean, they're not permanent at all uh, because they could very quickly uh, be changed. Now, we got the trade deficit out today. As always, nobody talks about the trade deficits. Just slightly bigger than expected, but $43.5 billion. You know, that's a lot of red ink to rack up in one month. And of course, there's actually a lot more red ink than that. That's not the uh, merchandise trade deficit. That's the, the unified deficit includes our surplus in, in services. But if you just look at flat out uh, merchandise uh, there, you know, we have a, uh, a much bigger deficit. You know, I was looking at a story. The uh, Swiss National Bank now has $88 billion in U.S. stocks alone. You know, their portfolio is really uh, jamming because, you know, their number one holding is Apple and Apple's up another two and a half percent or so today to a new all-time record high. But if you look at their portfolio, their top five holdings are Apple, then Alphabet, which is Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and Amazon. Those are the top five holdings of the Swiss National Bank. And it also makes sense that those are some of the highest flying stocks 
in the U.S. market because the Swiss bank, this, you know, they print Swiss francs for nothing. They create them out of thin air and then they go and they buy up U.S. tech stocks. I mean, $88 billion, that's just their U.S. portfolios. That doesn't include the stocks that they own that are in other uh, other countries. You know, there's only, what, about not even 8 million, 7, 7.5 million people living in Switzerland, including little babies, right? So they basically have more than $10,000 of stock, U.S. stock, for every man, woman, and child living in Switzerland. That means a family of four, the Swiss National Bank has got $40,000 worth of U.S. stocks. And, uh, you know, their U.S. stock portfolio is only about 10% of their balance sheet. So the balance sheet is huge, right? That, you know, 10% of it is uh, $88 billion. You know, the Swiss National Bank has more stocks, U.S. stocks, for Swiss families than American families own, right? The average American family doesn't have $40,000 in the stock market. Probably the average American family doesn't have anything in the stock market. But if you took the average family who does have a stock portfolio, I bet the average American household that has any money in the stock market at all has less than $40,000. Yet here, every Swiss citizen through the uh, Swiss National Bank has more than $40,000. Every Swiss household, every family of four, has more than $40,000 just in U.S. stocks. I mean, they don't even live in America. They're in Switzerland, and they own more U.S. stocks than Americans do. Now, I can imagine the size of the average Swiss portfolio on their own because Swiss citizens are pretty rich, so I'm sure the average... Swiss family has a bigger stock portfolio on his own than the average American family. And on top of that, the Swiss government has this huge portfolio. I mean, what does the U.S. government have for Americans? A pile of debt. The U.S. government is $20 trillion in debt, or ah, we're getting closer to $21 trillion. I think I haven't looked at that uh, national debt clock recently, but I know it's moving up pretty quickly. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So that doesn't even count the unfunded liabilities. So the Swiss are sitting on a pile of assets, right? The Swiss government has bought up all these stocks on behalf of their Swiss citizens. What has the U.S. government got for Americans? A bunch of IOUs. I mean, yeah, our Federal Reserve has a big balance sheet, but it's all IOUs from the U.S. government. I mean, the Federal Reserve doesn't own any stocks. All they own is, uh, 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 is treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And what good are they? So at least the Swiss you know, bought real companies, even if they overpaid. You know, at least they at least they bought something real. But imagine what's going to happen when these stocks go down, especially when these stocks go down and the Swiss franc goes up because the Swiss are keeping score in francs. Right. Their cost basis is in Swiss francs. So the worst thing for the Swiss National Bank is the U.S. stock market goes down and the Swiss franc goes up. And of course, that is eventually what is going to happen. And so the losses that the Swiss are ultimately going to take on this enormous portfolio in terms of the franc are going to be huge. Remember, it was a couple of years ago that there was a referendum in Switzerland and the Swiss wanted uh, to force the Swiss National Bank to buy gold. Maybe I think about, maybe it was 20% of the, their portfolio they were supposed to put in gold. And the Swiss, uh, the bankers really resisted it and there was a big PR campaign to defeat that. And so they didn't do it. So what did they do instead? Instead of buying gold, they bought a bunch of uh, overpriced US stocks. I mean, they would be much better off had they bought gold, even though on paper they're better off now because their portfolio has gone up, good luck getting out of it. I mean, do you think there's any way that the Swiss could unload these stocks? I mean, they should try at least. You know, they should try to take some profits and, and buy some gold. I mean, now before everybody else is trying to get out and they're trying to, you know, rush for the exit uh, with the rest of the crowd. But 
it's amazing that they bought all these U.S. stocks. And now, of course, they bought a lot of European stocks. And, of course, they bought mostly European bonds, right? They're loaded up with euro-denominated bonds, not Swiss-denominated bonds, euro-denominated uh, bonds. But, you know, imagine if they had just put a fraction of that into the gold market. I mean, what kind of impact might that have had, given how much money they put into the stock market? The gold market is a lot, probably a lot smaller uh, than the U.S. stock market in total market cap. And, you know, if they tried to put that money into gold, that might have made a considerable difference in the price of gold. So who knows how they might be doing? I mean, if the Swiss were buying that gold, the price of gold would be a lot higher. And so they would have a decent uh, profit, right, on the gold because their very buying would have caused the price to go up. But I think that had other investors seen the Swiss as such big buyers of gold, I mean, they would have bought too, right? So uh, it's no accident that what the Swiss are buying is what's going up. Right? They're buying all these stocks. They should be buying gold. That's what other people should be buying. That's what the smart money is doing. Right, The dumb money is following the central banks right, into these stocks. Now, in the short run, yeah, you can get out in time. if you, you, know, you might make some money, but this is a gigantic bubble. And the fact that these central banks are in there, and the Swiss Central Bank is not the only central bank that's doing this. They just probably got the biggest balance sheet in town. And the reason they did this is because they didn't want the Swiss franc to go up. I mean, if they had allowed the Swiss franc to go up, the average Swiss family would be much richer and they could take their, you know, appreciated francs. And if they wanted to buy U.S. stocks on the cheap, they could have done it themselves. They didn't have to have the the Swiss National Bank do it for them. That's what they should have done. They should have not printed all this money, let the Swiss franc gone up in value and let the Swiss citizens decide what they wanted to do with their newfound wealth, with their increased purchasing power, instead of making a decision at the banking level, to put all that into the U.S. stock market. Of course, I don't want to finish up the week without talking about Bitcoin because another milestone this week, Bitcoin went through 7,000. As I'm recording this, we're above 7,300. I guess the next real milestone is going to be 10,000 because 8,000, 9,000, I mean, once you hit 7,000, no one's really going to make that big a deal about eight or 9,000, but 10,000, five digits, right? That's probably going to be a big deal. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, fanfare, a lot of, I told you so's, you know, Peter Schiff, yeah, when are you going to get on board? You know, Bitcoin is 10,000. You know, I was listening or reading, I think, an interview uh, about about Bitcoin and, and one of the big investors or, you know, was actually conceding a point that I've made that Bitcoin is really not ideal for using it as a medium of exchange, that it's cumbersome, that it's expensive, that it's slow, and that, you know, there maybe will be other cryptocurrencies that will be more effective, that will, be, that'll, that will better function as a medium of exchange, right, than Bitcoin, right? That'll be better currencies. That Bitcoin will be more like gold, like digital gold. Like rather than being a currency, it'll just be a store of value. It'll just be what people buy when they want to store their wealth, when they're worried about, when they, you know, they, they, they need a safe haven. People will just buy Bitcoin as digital gold. But then if they want to actually buy and sell stuff, if they want, they'll use something else. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a completely ridiculous because the whole 
uh, theoretical purpose, right? The reason that Bitcoin was going to have all this value was going to be because it was going to circulate as money. It was going to be a, an alternative uh, medium of exchange. It was going to be used by the common person around the world instead of euros or dollars or yen or some other crappy currency issued by some uh, third world country. People were just going to use Bitcoin and people were just going to hoard them, right, until you know, the whole world adopted it and then everybody was using it as currency. But now they're kind of giving up on that and say, well, forget about Bitcoin being used as a medium of exchange. It's just going to be held on to like gold because they'll say, look, no one's really using gold as money. So no one really has to use Bitcoin as money either. People are just going to hold on to it as a digital equivalent of gold, except it's not a digital equivalent of gold. It's a digital equivalent of nothing. I mean, if you're going to say that it's not going to function as a medium of exchange, if the sole purpose of Bitcoin is to hoard it, right, as some kind of store of value, and that there's going to be some other currencies that people are going to use as a medium of exchange, you've just negated the very premise of buying it in the first place. And that was the whole value prospect that it was going to be, you know, uh, this alternative form of money. Now, I guess it could, you could say, well, you can still give it to somebody else who wants to use it as a store of value so I can transfer it. You know, I wouldn't use it to buy a cup of coffee or a pack of chewing gum. But if I want to transfer a huge block of purchasing power, let's say a hedge fund wants to transfer $10 million worth of value uh, to some other hedge fund that, well, Bitcoin is a way to do it, right? Or some other organization, or if you have a lot of wealth and you want to move it around. But of course, the risk here is that what if it collapses? You can't say just because Bitcoin is going up now. And who again, I've said before, I don't know how big this bubble is going to get. I'm not that smart. No, I mean, there's no way to know. Does it stop at 10,000 or 20,000? Or maybe it doesn't get to 10,000. Although with the momentum it has now, I, I, you know, I wouldn't bet that it doesn't. But it can unravel very, very quickly. And I see a lot of people who are just refusing to admit that. And they're, they're, they're like changing their perspective in order to justify uh, continuing the, the bubble. But, you know, you got more and more people coming in, more institutions are talking about it. You know, these rumors were circulating around that, that Amazon, you know, I saw that they, I read something about the fact that they reserved a couple of dot-com names uh, that had to do with cryptocurrencies. Uh, but, you know, they, they reserved Amazon Bitcoin or something a couple of years ago and never did anything with it. So I doubt that it means anything if they reserved a couple of more uh, names that are related to cryptos and have the word Amazon in it. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually doing anything. I think one of the things that's got people excited is the fact that the, that the Merck said that they're going to launch a futures contract on Bitcoin uh, by the end of the year. Right? That's going to allow people to trade Bitcoin futures, and they're going to cash settle. And interestingly enough, one of the reasons that a lot of people said, oh, Bitcoin is better than gold, is they said, oh, gold is manipulated because there's a futures contract and all these people are trading gold futures and they can easily manipulate it. They can short futures. And so uh, we're going to buy Bitcoin because there's no way to manipulate that. Well, the minute there's a futures contract on Bitcoin, it's the exact same thing as gold, right? Because no one actually has to have the Bitcoin. They can just sell it. It cash settles. Now, the gold contracts actually physically settle. In theory, the people who are long gold can ask for delivery. But the people who buy Bitcoin futures can never ask for delivery of actual Bitcoin. So the whole thing is going to be a paper market. So if you were thinking that there was manipulation of the gold market because of a future contract that actually settled in gold, there could be even more manipulation of the Bitcoin market the minute they start trading a futures contract that doesn't even settle in Bitcoin. 
that settles in cash. So people, you could sell as many of them as you want, and it's all pure gambling. So a lot of people are excited that this is going to be a positive for Bitcoin. We'll see. Because, yes, it makes it easier for people to lever up and bet on Bitcoin, but it also makes it a lot easier for people to level, lever up and bet against it. It's now going to make it a lot easier for anybody who wants to short Bitcoin to short it. So it is a two-way street. Now, by the way, I read another article on the collapse of the gold market, and it was looking at sales at the U.S. Mint of American Eagles, and they're down like 87% since last year. And I've been talking about that because, you know, sales at Shift Gold had gone down, uh, but actually not as much as that. I mean, we're actually gaining market share in a shrinking market. A lot of our competitors are really hurting. I mean, I expect actually a lot of U.S. gold companies to be going out of business over the next year because they can't survive. The margins are very thin and the sales have collapsed. Now, this article blamed Bitcoin, said that the reason that you have this big drop is because people are buying Bitcoin instead of gold, that, you know, Bitcoin has stolen gold's thunder, certainly with millennials, you know, but millennials weren't big gold buyers to begin with. I mean, I know that. I mean, most millennials weren't buying gold. They, they were just spending their money. But I think that there are a lot of millennials who are in Bitcoin. I think a lot of the gold customers uh, actually, you know, they, they stayed away from Bitcoin probably because they were older guys, not as internet tech savvy. You know, the typical customer of Shift Gold was probably 50, 60-year-old people, right? So they weren't the first guys to jump on the crypto bandwagon. I, I doubt most of them have even... Uh, bought. I mean, it, believe it or not, I actually talk to a lot of my clients, and you know, I try to get them to send me uh, something on their cell phone. They don't know how to do it. They don't. They don't. A lot of these guys don't even have cameras. Like they've never taken a picture. I said, I want them to scan something, and you know, they they can't do it. I said, well, just take a photograph of it and email it to me. And they don't know how to do that. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, that that people don't know how to use. Uh, cell phones, they, you know, scanners, or I mean, it's you know, so the the, the level of technology. I, I guess I'm still young enough. I'm 54 that I'm there. But people that are 74, 80, they a lot of these guys know nothing. I mean, maybe their grandkids know something. So what's really driving the collapse in gold is not uh, is not the Bitcoin. I mean, I think on the margin, sure, worldwide, I think that. Some sales of gold are being siphoned off. But I think a lot of the people speculating on Bitcoin were never going to buy gold anyway, but they're buying Bitcoin. But to some extent, yeah, I do believe that some of the market share has been routed. But if you look worldwide, you don't have sales of gold coins collapsing 87% in Europe or in Asia, right? I mean, sales overseas are still, I think, picking up. The, the, the real reason is Trump. I mean, I've said that. It's the optimism. The typical gold buyer is a Republican who voted for Trump. And even if he didn't, right, he's, he believes all the mania. It's their buying. I mentioned I've got clients of mine who are buying U.S. stocks for the first time in, you know, in a decade. I mean, they finally, since they haven't bought a U.S. stock since the 2008 crash. And now they're excited enough, even though we have record high valuations and we have record high complacency where nobody is worried. We have the highest valuations and the lowest amount of concern. Complete complacency. Nobody is worried despite record high prices, and people are ignoring the the fundamental problems in the economy that are much greater now than they were in 2001 and 2008 before the last 50% drops in the stock market. So the people who are throwing caution to the wind and who are wildly optimistic and who are buying U.S. stocks, they are not buying gold. 
That is the real reason that coin sales in America are down 87% because people are so optimistic. They're, they're making a big bet on the U.S. economy. They're making a big bet on Trump and they're loading up on U.S. stocks and they're betting wrong. I mean, this is the exact wrong thing that they should be doing. They should be selling U.S. stocks if they had them. But of course, a lot of people just, just bought them. But, but what they should be buying is gold. They should be buying foreign stocks. They should be buying commodities. You know, no one's talking really about what's going on in the oil market. Oil prices closed about $55 a barrel today. This is better than a two-year high in the price of crude oil. And if you look at a chart, I mean, this is, we're going to get a big move. I mean, I think that we could see next year, we could see oil prices back up to 80 bucks. And people think, well, it's not going to happen. No one's really talking about it. It's going to happen. And if oil prices are this strong, when the dollar is rising, imagine how much stronger they're going to be when the dollar resumes its decline. Right? And then that's really going to put the screws, like all these people who are working part-time as waiters, right? their cost of living is really going to go up uh, when the, the cost of gas goes up, and the cost of food is going to go up, the cost of insurance is going to go up. I mean, all sorts of prices also are going to be going up. I mean, people think they're going to be getting more purchasing power because they're getting a tax cut. Uh-uh. They're going to lose that tax cut, higher insurance, higher uh, food, higher, higher, higher energy, all sorts of prices are going to be going up. Interest rates on their debt. A lot of things are going up. And yeah, maybe they'll get a little bit more money in their pocket. That's assuming they still have their job. You know, a tax cut doesn't do you any good if you've lost your job. So there are a lot of people who may be looking forward to tax cuts. What they're actually going to have is a pay cut, right? They're going to lose their paycheck and then it doesn't matter. And a lot of corporations in America, right? Oh, we're going to have corporate tax cuts. What if they have no income, right? What if interest rates go up? If their costs of goods sold go up to the point where they've lost their profits, right? They blew all their money on share buybacks. They didn't make the type of investments in capital equipment that they should have had. What if over the next few years we have massive losses? The tax cuts don't do any good if you don't have any income to tax, if you have losses. So there's a lot of problems. Everybody is overlooking it from the average American uh, Republican Trump voter who used to buy gold and is now buying stocks to the big shots at the Swiss National Bank who are all in on, on Apple and Facebook and, and, and Google and Amazon. Everybody, all the big money is completely positioned wrong and the smart money is quietly accumulating what nobody else is buying and we are preparing for a huge payday for being right, being early, and being patient.